helps if I unmute that. We are going to be in Ephesians 6 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, that can be found uh, in those black Bibles in the pew right in front of you on page 1039. I felt like we were on page 1038 in that thing for about a year, and then we have jumped over as of last week to the next page. We are making progress here, gang. This is the fourth Sunday of the month. As Jerry alluded to, our kids in kindergarten through third grade would normally go off to children's church at this time, but on the fourth and fifth Sundays, we all stay together as one big, happy, fidgety family. And we love this Sunday, or at least I do, um, because we expect the room to be noisier today. So parents, don't stress over every little peep coming from your pew. And those of you here in the room that are in the room that don't have kids here, also don't stress, particularly don't stress the parents around you, uh, about every little noise coming from your pew. We view children as a blessing here at First Baptist Church, and today is an especially appropriate day for all of us to be together, because kids, much of the sermon today is really addressed to you. Parents, we'll get to you later, so don't get too excited, but... Uh, but the text today talks about the relationship between Christian children and their parents. And I say Christian there specifically because if you don't belong to Jesus Christ, if you are not saved, if you are not regenerate, reborn, uh, if you aren't a Christian, then the type of submission and obedience that this passage talks about really is impossible. Without the gospel, glorifying God by obeying your parents and parenting in a manner that reflects God's goodness just won't happen. But what is this gospel? Simply put, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came from heaven, died on the cross, having lived a perfect sinless life, paid the full penalty of our sins by his substitute sacrifice, and then was raised from the dead. And the Bible teaches that everyone who repents of their sins and places their faith in the perfect work of Jesus can and will be saved Kids, that means today if you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be saved. And it means that this type of living, this uh, lifestyle of obedience, both to God first and then to your parents and other authorities, it will be possible. And parents, it means parenting in such a way that you're pointing your children toward the Lord. That's, that's a thumbnail sketch of what Paul is talking about today. Let's read it together in Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come today, we come grateful that you have allowed us as your people to experience what a good father means. Lord, many of us have fantastic earthly parents, though some of us don't, Lord, but whether we've had a, a great experience with our earthly mom and dad or a terrible one, Father, we know that we have a good, good father who loves us, who ultimately desires to bless us, who who has sacrificed greatly simply to call us his children. And so, Lord, I pray today that if there be one within the sound of my voice who is 
never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today would be that day for them. Father, I pray that from these verses we would learn the, the very building blocks of what obedience means. God, that we would we would see this foundational relationship between parent and child, between really between us and you, Lord, that we would see it as the picture of the gospel that it really is, God, that we would that we would submit ourselves in ways that cause us to to go beyond obedience really to honoring our parents and thereby honoring you, Lord. As parents, help us to, to lead our children in such a way that we bring them up, not in our own wisdom and our own the way that we think is best, the way the world around us thinks is best, but, but that it would truly be in the wisdom and encouragement of you. Lord, we pray you would help us to submit our sinful hearts to your word today. We pray in your son's holy and precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, Tom Hansen, a man you don't know, he was what you might be you might call a, a troubled youth. In eighth grade, he was suspended from school, both for smoking and selling marijuana. Two years later, he wanted to drop out of school, and his parents thought he would do better in a different environment, so they sent him to a private boarding school in Italy. He lasted three months there before being expelled. He was in and out of his parents' home after that, and during the short periods he lived with them, they had the audacity to either require him to be in school or working. What harsh parents Tom had, and he disagreed with most of his parents' decisions, decisions during this period in his life. We know that because in 1978, it's not just these newfangled youth that have the issue. This has been an issue that's around for a while. In 1978, Tom sued his parents for $350,000 for the crime of malpractice in parenting. He alleged his parents' actions constituted willful and wanton neglect of his basic needs and that their actions were done with callous disregard for his fragile psychological condition. You might have two responses to that. Parents, you are trying to not laugh. Kids, you're going, I didn't know we could do that. I need a lawyer. One of our children really just raised his hand. One, not one of mine, but I love it. Um, kids, it's not an option. Uh, a trial court dismissed Tom's case almost immediately due to lack of evidence in 1978. An appellate court upheld that decision in 1979, and two further appeals were denied in 1980. Sorry to disappoint Cam. The relationship between parents and children is hard. But fortunately for us, the Bible is far from silent on this issue. And so how do we approach the conflict that necessarily arises from living together as parents and children, from growing up in a home together, from having different goals and desires for life, well, one of the ways we can do that is to take it to the courts. I don't think that's necessarily the Christian way to do it. And so here's how we're going to approach this text. We'll quickly see three reasons from these verses we just read 
why children are to obey their parents. And then we'll spend most of our time fleshing out how this functions, excuse me, how this functions in the home. This passage has broad applications. We relate to our parents differently when we're five than we do when we're 15 or 25 or even when we're 45. And so how do these verses apply across the various stages of life? And then we'll spend the bulk of our time digging into that application and talking about what it means for us who are parents. How do we fulfill verse 4? We'll close with that. But first we'll see three reasons from the text uh, that, that children, Christian children, are to obey their parents. And the first thing we'll see is that it's rooted in creation. Obedience, children obeying their parents, is rooted in creation. Paul simply says, this is right. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. God has created human beings in such a way that his law is written on our hearts. There are certain truths we know simply because we're human, because we're created in God's image. And one of these truths is that children are to obey their parents. It's rang true in every culture, across religion, across language, across time. Every culture has this idea that children obey their parents. So first and foremost, the foundational reason children obey is because that is how God has written creation to be. That is the natural inclination of man. We see evidence of a creator all over creation, and this is one of the ways that human beings are not like other animals that leave their young or that abandon their young or that give their young to others to raise. No, human beings generally, across time and across culture, we see this pattern that children obey the, the rules, obey the, the precepts, obey the lifestyle of their parents. So the, the parent-child relationship really is the first place that you learn obedience and authority. Now that's the ideal situation, right? The way that God plans things to be is that God's people grow up in households with parents who worship God, and those parents teach their children to worship God. They teach their kids what obedience means in that household, and so in that household, you learn to be a productive citizen who respects the authority of uh, the, the government around you, you respect the authority of employers and teachers and all those things. That's the ideal, and we'll focus mostly on that, but I know that's not every situation. There are kids here today, there are kids who are part of our church ministries that don't live in the ideal situation, either their parents aren't believers uh, at all, or maybe you're being raised by an aunt or by your grandparents, and that doesn't mean that God won't use your household situation to teach you the very same things, and we as a church will do our best to come alongside kids who don't live in the ideal, and to help in any way that we can in these situations, but we need to recognize that this is the ideal and if you sit here today and you know that you don't live in the ideal, recognize that God can still work through that. And God has likely put you amongst these people because he wants to help bridge that gap. And that's what church can be for kids who don't live in Christian households. You see, our, our, the reason that we do, recognize that this, this is the thing the Bible commands us to do. Gathering together with all of God's people on the Lord's day, this is the thing that the Bible tells us we have to do as his church. All the other programming that we do, everything else from Wednesday night to Sunday evening to Sunday school, that's all stuff that we cooked up on our own. 
Yes, we won't find Sunday school in the Bible. I know that's dangerous to say from an old Baptist pulpit, but that's okay. Uh, it's not that I, Sunday school is a great thing. It's a good thing for us to do. But the thing that we're commanded to do is this. Everything that we do with kids ministry or adult groups or youth group, all those are ways that we as God's people have planned, strategized to carry out the Great Commission, to carry out learning everything that Christ has commanded us so that we can go and teach it to others. And so in our kids and youth programs, really what we want to do is not step into the role of parent. No, we want to come alongside parents and families and aunts and uncles and grandparents and whoever else that are speaking into the lives of kids and, and help provide another voice saying the same thing, teaching the same truth, showing kids that what they're learning at home is not just some weird thing that your family does. No, but that's what God's people do across time and across generations and that they have a support network outside of their home but it's helping to be a launching pad for them to go and be growing Christians and raise growing Christian families. But there are times where we do have to become the primary disciplers. We, I know, talk, have talked to our youth leaders about this at times and our kids leaders at this about times. There are situations where you become the primary discipleship voice in a kid's life because we don't all live in the ideal. And so, church, we need to be prepared for those moments to go above and beyond to help raise up kids who are going to follow Christ. And sometimes that's by pouring into those kids. Sometimes it's by evangelizing and discipling parents who we get to know because their kids come to a, a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning program here. But church, everything that we do centers on the Great Commission. And, and as we strive to disciple children outside of this time, all of those things are meant to support this very idea that kids are, dis are obedient to their parents and discipled by their parents. And that's written onto the heart of humanity, this idea that, that children obey their parents. This isn't some arbitrary idea that Paul cooked up when he was writing to the Ephesians 2,000 years ago. No, this is something that goes all the way back to the very fabric of creation. And God commands obedience. That's the second truth we see. The second thing Paul says, you see it in verse 2, the obedience of children is not only based on creation order, it's based on a com an explicit command of God. It's the express command of God for children to obey their parents. So especially Christian children should obey their parents. It's the fifth commandment. That's what he quotes there. It's Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and your mother. He goes right back to God handing down the law to his people, Israel, and he's pointing the Ephesians toward what their household is supposed to function like. And, and recognize how important that commandment is, not just here, but when, when God was giving the Ten Commandments. This, so, so the first commandment is about putting no one else before God, worshiping no one else. The second commandment is about worshiping God in the way that God has appointed. The third commandment is about honoring God's name. The fourth commandment is about honoring God's day. The first four commandments all focus on our vertical relationship, right? My relationship with God. The last six Commandments focus on our more broad relationships, our relationships with people, because those flow out of our relationship with God. And the very first one of those, right on the heels of honoring the Lord's day, before you get to murder, before you get to adultery, before you get to stealing or lying, you come to honor your father and your mother. Does that show you how important this particular commandment is in God's economy? God's expressed command is obey your parents. 
We shouldn't need a whole lot of other reason than that to obey, right? I know we overcomplicate things sometimes. R.T. Sproul, a, a late teacher and, and commentator, he always used to tell a story. Uh, he told it in one of the, the we watched some of their videos in uh, video teaching that he did in men's group a couple of years ago, and I remember this story sticking out. He talks about being in seminary uh, in a fairly small class where they would sit in kind of a semicircle, and the professor would ask questions of the kids, of the, the students there, and, and sometimes they would, you know, try to show off how smart they are, as smart people sometimes do. And, and he asked a very simple question, why should we do evangelism? And the answers were very, well, people trying to impress someone. Lots of words, all kinds of explanations, and R.C. Sproul was sitting at the end of the line, and he finally gets to him, and he goes, well, I don't know, maybe because Jesus said to. Pretty good reason, right? And that's what the professor thought too. Hey, that's the perfect. That's the the first and only reason, really, that we do the thing that we do evangelism because God told us to. We don't have to overcomplicate this too much. Why should children be obedient to their parents? Because God has commanded it. But He doesn't just stop there. This is one of the things I love about our God, Church. He doesn't just tell us to do something without giving us an explanation. No, so often. He gives us the command, and he gives us all of these supporting arguments, all these supporting reasons, because he knows our hearts. He knows our hearts are prone to doubt, as the hymn writer puts, prone to wonder. And so he gives us all these arguments to, to quell our wondering hearts. And he gives us a great big one here. It's that obedience comes with a promise. That's the why. Why do we obey our parents? Well, because God commanded it. That's a great reason and probably all that we need. But God gives us even more than that. It comes with a promise. God says, you do this, and when you do it, I'll bless you. God is so gracious in his commands. He can't wait to bless us. And so this Exodus twenty twelve command to honor your father and your mother, it it's the first of all the commandments that comes along with a promise. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that your Lord God is giving you. A very specific command for those people in that very specific time, but the promise applies broadly, right? If you live the way that God has commanded you to live, things are going to work out well for you. I'm waiting there to bless you, God says, for doing what you ought to do. You remember Satan's words to Eve in the garden? He said, if you want blessing, God's holding out on you, Eve. You want to be blessed? You want to, get that, you want to have that knowledge that God has? All you need to do is disobey. He doesn't want you to have that for you. He doesn't want you to have the knowledge that he has. So what you need to do if you want to be blessed is to disobey. We often sing that song, Trust and Obey. What a great motto for the Christian life. Because obedience brings with it blessing. The world tells us you want blessing, you have to disobey. The Bible tells us over and over again, look, if you want to be blessed, if you want to lead a life that God is going to honor, if you want to lead a life that is truly joyful, if you want your life to end up in a place of worship, a place of joy, what do you do? It's not disobedience, it is obedience. Because obedience is accompanied by a promise. So let's turn to application then. If those are the three reasons we see in the text, how do we put that into 
practice. Just doing what mom and dad say is a great starting place. But let's get a little deeper than that. Kids, if you live under mom and dad's roof, if you eat mom and dad's food, if you wear mom and dad's clothes, and I don't mean that, you know, you're wearing clothes that don't fit. Uh, Although my dad always used to tell me that he finally knew that he had gotten old, and he was 42 when I was born, so I would argue that that day had come and went. Uh, But when I was in high school, we'd always have those dress-up days on homecoming week and things like that. And I would go to him and say, hey, Dad, it's nerd day. Can I borrow your clothes? He would say, that's when he knew that he got old. Okay, I'm only 38, and I already know that I'm old. Um, But whatever age that you, or at least I feel old, after a a 12-hour drive back to Missouri from Tennessee yesterday, I feel very, very old. Kids, if you live in mom and dad's house, if you wear the clothes that mom and dad purchased for you, if you, if you are under mom and dad's authority in life, then obedience here is not just an action. It's not just a set of things that you do. It's an orientation. It's a heart attitude. And it's hard. I know it is. Whatever age you are, you've been mad at your parents. They've made a rule that you disagree with, a chore you don't agree with. They've given you something to do that you don't want to do. And so what do you do? Well, you've got a a, a choice to make. You You can submit to their authority or you can rebel against their authority. It's the same same choice that we get every day when we choose whether or not we're going to follow the, the life that God has laid out for us and the law that he has given us or not. You obey that action if you belong to Jesus. At least that's the general inclination of your life. And you pray that the Holy Spirit will help your rebellious heart to eventually begin more and more to submit to the will of your parents. For those of you who live in Christian homes, learning to obey your parents is the first place that God is going to teach you to submit to someone else's will. You'll have to do that in school in your early years. You have to do it in work and marriage for the rest of your life. But you learn to do it first at home. And if you live at home and you're under the authority of your parents, whether you're 18 months or 18 years, the biblical standard for you is to obey. And again, it's not just action because we can all do the action without letting our heart really submit, right? There are times when I have to do chores and things around the house that maybe someone has forgotten to do. It's usually me, but it's still the uh, And I have to come along behind myself or someone else. If I clean up you know, a mess that someone's left or I have to pick up some dishes that didn't get done or whatever, I get the chore done, Oh, but my heart wishes I didn't have to do it. And I do it, and I do it mad. Here, right? If your parents have told you to go and clean your room, there's a way that you can go and you can clean your room. And you can put those Legos away so hard. You can throw the Legos in the box. You can slam the doors. You can chuck the clothes into the hamper. You can make the bed as aggressively as any human has ever made a bed in their life. And you've been obedient. At least at face value. But Jesus is not really concerned about face value. Jesus is concerned about heart value. And so here's my challenge for you kids if you are in the home. Again, whether you're 18 months or 18 years. 
when mom and dad ask you to do something, tell you to do something, or there's just a general situation where you know what obedience should look like, my challenge to you is to not just obey on the surface, but obey with the heart. Because there's going to be a moment, a time, when you're a teenager or probably even younger, when mom and dad aren't going to be around, and you're going to have the opportunity to live obedient or live sinfully. We'll just call it what it is. And if we train our hearts early to begin submitting to what is right, then later on, when mom and dad aren't looking or no one else is around, then we're going to still do what is right. Because who are you ultimately obeying? Well, it's your parents. But who set them in authority over you to, to allow them to tell you to obey? Well, it's really God, right? God is the one who set them in authority in your life. So learning to obey your parents is, is one of the ways that you demonstrate your ability to obey God. And you're never going to be in a situation where God doesn't see what you do. And so if we want to learn to obey, if we want to learn to submit, the first place that we do it is to mom and dad. Now let me talk, again, I know that there are kids in this room who are not in the ideal. You don't live in a Christian household. Your parents are not leading you in a way that would point you toward Jesus. And, and one of the things that I just want to make very clear today, kids, is if your parents or any other authority figure in your life, for that matter, are telling you to commit sin, your first obligation is to obey God and not them. So if what they do causes you to violate what God has said, or if they're doing sinful things to you, if you're being abused by a parent or another authority figure, tell someone. Okay, this is a safe place for kids to speak out if they are being genuinely abused. Protecting children is the responsibility of every Christian everywhere. So kids, if you're in danger, this is the place to tell a grown-up. Because this is a safe place. For those of you who aren't in real physical danger, the biblical standard is obedience. Not threatening to sue your parents, uh, right? The biblical standard is obedience. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Kids, if you're under mom and dad's roof, you're under their authority. But that's not always going to be true, is it? You're not always going to live in your parents' house. I'm going to say that again just for my kids. You're not always going to live in your parents' house. I'm kidding. They are welcome as long as Monica will tolerate them. But what about grown children who are out on their own? Do we just dismiss this altogether? Are we done with mom and dad once we move out and into college and go on with our life? I've heard one seasoned counselor make the distinction between honoring our parents and obeying our parents. He said that Jesus calls us, not, calls us to always honor our parents. He doesn't call us always to obey father and mother once we establish our own household. And this distinction and this transition is actually critical to honor our parents in a healthy manner because if we don't break that, if that relationship never changes, if there's not that break, that, that switch from obedience to honoring, then there is no leaving and cleaving. There is no uh, man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife. And so that relationship has to change for the family to really work. 
And so to honor their parents, a husband or wife has to leave their parents as, God's, as God demands and establish clear lines that weren't there before, establish boundaries. That relationship has to change. Parents' authority over children in that regard is seasonal, but, but the idea of honoring your parents is not seasonal. It doesn't go away. It happens in our attitude and it happens in our speech. So adult children... Are you honoring your parents? Are you honoring them by the way that you speak? First, if you want to live in a way that honors your parents, set in your mind that you're going to refuse to have a negative attitude toward your parents, regardless of who you're talking to or regardless of how well or how poorly they performed as parents. God doesn't tell us to honor our parents based on their performance, right? That's never how the gospel works. For some of us, that means forgiveness. To honor your father and mother, you're going to have to forgive them. You're going to have to refuse to speak ill of them. And we live in a time when it's considered noble to air our grievances. It's considered therapeutic to air our dirty laundry. We criticize political leaders and bosses and coaches, and in many cases, our parents. The Bible tells us in Romans 13 to respect those in authority, and that especially goes... For our parents. Under that Old Testament law we talked about earlier in Exodus 21, Leviticus 20, the penalty for cursing your parents, for speaking ill of them, is the same as it is for physically assaulting them. The root sin is the same, and so in the biblical law, the penalty is the same. So we honor our parents not just with our attitude, with our actions, but with our attitude and with our speech. But we also honor our parents with our actions. Which leads me to a difficult area that we probably don't address enough in Christian circles, and that's what, how do grown children honor, care for their aging parents? I'm not going to have you turn there for the sake of time, but we're going to unpack what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 4 through 6. You can mark that passage in your Bible, maybe look it up tonight, because the Bible is not silent on the subject of aging parents. It's a growing problem, it's a growing pro- a privilege, really, for our congregation, because people are living longer than ever before. And so more and more, we have the privilege of caring for our parents in many of the same ways that they cared for us when we were young. And a lot of you are there. That's in part why I bring this up. Because along with this comes all sorts of sticky, thorny issues, especially when parents' judgment begins to fail, and they want something that's not good for them. And And that is such a difficult situation for children and the parent to be in. And no matter how old you are, how successful you've been as as parents yourselves or in your job or wherever, you're still a kid in many ways when it comes to relating to your parents. And it's difficult to assume that role, that position of caregiver. It's one of the things that Jesus alludes to in that text is that we can't let our self-interest, our comfort, undermine our obligation to care for our parents. It's interesting that was happening in Jesus' day. That's what brought that whole situation in Matthew 15 up. It was covered, of course, in in sort of a religious veneer. The, The Pharisees weren't really caring for their parents, but they were saying they weren't doing it for religious reasons. But the bottom line is they didn't want to spend money on their parents in their old age. And Jesus is saying to these grown children, no, you have a biblical obligation to care for those who cared for you when you couldn't care for yourself. And that's a 
That's a good obligation. It's a sweet obligation. And, and again, many of you are doing that and have done it so well and should be commended. And some of you are wrestling with it right now. And, and what I would recommend to you is don't wrestle with that alone. Again, there are people in this room who have cared incredibly well for their aging parents. And some of you are really struggling with how to do it. And so reach out to me and I'll put you in contact with them. I'm not, I don't have a great personal frame of reference here. But there are people in this room that, that can and would love to help you with this. So don't wrestle with these issues alone. Because some of you are facing really difficult decisions, really difficult heartbreaks and heartaches and, and seemingly insolvable problems when it comes to caring for aging loved ones. Honoring doesn't mean you have to quit your job to care for your aging parents or move in with them or anything like that. Sometimes it does. It doesn't mean you can't take advantage of modern medicine and modern care like you'd find in an assisted living facility or nursing home. But it does mean that we as children who desire to worship God and honor Him have an obligation to honor our parents by making sure that they are cared for. That's what honor means for adult children with parents whose health is failing. And some of you are in that in-between phase, right? You are raising one generation while caring for another, and that's an incredibly hard thing as well, but let's talk about raising that next generation just for a minute as we close. Look at verse 4 with me, if you will. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Paul addresses fathers specifically, but, but this passage is applicable to mothers as well. Dads, though, notice that you're the ones who are called on the carpet. You're not released to take a backseat role in parenting. You, I know you come home at the end of the day, you're tired, you've got a lot to do, but nowhere in Scripture, men, are we given an excuse to offload the bulk of parenting duties on our wives. Sure, she's better at you than some things. She's quite capable, but you're not at liberty to check out. But at the same time, this, this truth, this, this command here is applicable to, to both fathers and mothers. There's a negative command followed by a positive. Don't do this, but do this. And by the way, this don't provoke your children to anger. Don't stir up anger in your children. I know that some of you kids are still with me. I know that you are. And, and when I was your age, I would have read this 